This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 18th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. The militarization of local police didn't happen overnight. It took decades. And much of the change was driven by the war on drugs. Trevor Burris, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, talks a bit about how we got here. Events in uh, Ferguson, Missouri, have brought to the forefront, you know, in vivid detail, the uh, militarization that we see with police. But of course, this has a long history. There's a lot of uh, programs that have existed that uh, were created, and it's, it's helpful to know who has been uh, promoting and putting these things in place. I guess do we go back to the 1980s, 1990s? Even Nixon, I would say. Okay. So so just, just to start, I mean, the, the war on drugs obviously f- fuels a lot of this, but uh, let's start with the Clinton administration. This was uh, COPS, mm-hmm. C-O-P-S, Community Oriented Policing. What was, the, what was that program? Uh, it was a program, you know, with fighting the drug war and fighting other types of crime. Actually, even going back before that, we have to look at two things. One, the general ability to, to have fighting crime always sells well with the voters. Say, if we're going to get tough on crime, it's difficult to find a voter who won't be agreeing with that. And then the drug war, of course, on top of that. And the crime rate was going up for a very long time. It started going down about, about 1992, but since the 60s, it started with the riots, kept going up. There was this idea of a complete destroyed inner city and you needed to equip cops to do this. So they thought of there be no downside to giving them military gear. I think that's the big mistake that is at the heart of this, that the idea was why, what would be the downside of equipping them with military gear? And all these programs that go into it, and you mentioned the COPS program, sort of ironic, I guess, because it's called Community Oriented Policing Services, um, has been funded at about $1.5 billion. And the idea was officer friendlies, whistling, trolling their baton, going up, you know, interacting with the community, all this different stuff. And in many places, though, they were using it to create more SWAT teams and more militarized police because there were very loose constraints on what the law actually required. It just said, we're going, whatever you think community-oriented policing is, we're going to allow that to happen. And it ended up in some places being boots on the ground. And in particular, uh, then Senator Biden and now Vice President Biden was a very big champion of it. And in 2008, during the primary season, when he was still <coughs> competing against uh, Obama during the primaries, he championed this Biden crime bill, he kind of called it, is a huge reason. 10,000 more police are, is a big reason why crime has gone down. This is what Joe Biden has done for you. Again, playing up this idea that there is no upper limit on how much criminal enforcement the public wants. And so that's an interesting element here to see where the Obama administration gets involved because Biden has been a big champion of some of these programs that have created the militarized police and also President Obama. Uh, they raised the Burn Grant program, which is a specifically drug war fighting program that began in the late 80s, that had gone down substantially under the Bush administration. And in 2009, under the stimulus package, the Obama administration gave that $2 billion, which was by far the most money it had ever received. So politically, it's going to be interesting to see the egg on the face here of them going forward and how they can deal with uh, the, the blowback from this this event in Ferguson. So uh, in the Clinton administration, the uh, COPS program, if I understand correctly, was uh, the sort of talking point that went along with that was 100,000 new mm-hmm. cops on the beat in America. And of course, I mean, as he as President Clinton was elected, of course, 
uh, crime was at historic highs uh, in the United States. In 92, as you noted, it began to decline and has continued to decline ever since. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, that's the story about the idea of how many cops do we need um, and what those cops are going to be doing. So we would see in certain police departments where this level of officers remain the same or, or at least proportionate with the population increase. But the strike team, the, uh, the SWAT team, the tactical assault team would go from six officers to 52 because of the community-oriented police services at. This is just sort of sort of how federal state partnerships often work. They try and pull the strings on the states to some degree and they don't want to give them too many constraints. They want to let them do their local thing. And in some states this was about creating more SWAT teams. So this is one of the many programs to try and, and bring down militarization of police. But in the bigger picture, and I think you you brought up the fact that no one knows the crime is going down. And that is true. We, it's been it is precipitously dropped, 50% less likely to be a victim of violent crime since about 1992. But almost no one knows this. And when you put voters, the voters ask, do you want more criminal enforcement? I, I think that we need to start having voters realize that the downside of, of more criminal enforcement is a more militarized police when they're using that militarized substance, a gear to break down people's doors and do warrants because they have it, they might as well use it. As I said, I think the big mistake here uh, in the history of militarizing police, was not understanding that this would actually affect police behavior. You give them an a, you give them an armed personnel vehicle, and then they say, "Well, we got this warrant to serve. We might as well drive the APV up there." And I think that was the, the mistake at the core of this. The last thirty years, we've been doing it. And, and um, you mentioned uh, what Americans believe and what they don't believe about crime. Most Americans believe crime has gone up since that time. Yeah, period. not just even not gone down. It has gone up, so we need more of this. What What's the problem? Why would we need this? And now we're having a problem in Ferguson because the riots have not abated. Um, and of course, some people are saying that you've heard this on Fox News a little bit that we're demonizing police. There are people who know how to respond to riots like this without militarized police. And of course, I'm not saying, and no one is saying that riots would not occur but for militarized police. But it doesn't help. And most police chiefs who have dealt with this for a long time know this. Norm Stamper in Seattle knew that that the response that the police gave to the World Trade Organization protesters in 1999, it egged them on. Uh, Jerry Wilson here in Washington, D.C. knew that, that you, you hide your riot police until they absolutely are needed, or people are going to throw rocks. You put police out there with shields, people think of them as targets for you know, rocks and bricks and whatever else. So there is a way of doing this and to try and protect the property of people, of law-abiding citizens, without bringing out the tanks, without bringing out the sniper rifles on the roof. You can bring it out with standard riot procedures that have been existent for, for hundreds of years, really. Uh, in, in a Cato podcast that was quite a, quite a bit old at this point, I interviewed uh, Billy Murphy, who's a defense attorney. I don't think he would care necessarily if I said that he was a pricey defense attorney in (laughs) Baltimore. He played himself famously on the wire. And I asked him, uh, because he does a lot of criminal defense work, I asked him, well, you know, what was the the breakdown between sort of uh, cops on the beat who were members of the community and them becoming sort of an adversarial uh, force in a community? And he said, when cops stopped walking the beat. Yes. And that it uh, his argument was it takes away a lot of discretion. Uh, they don't actually know who a lot of these people are because they're in the bubble of a car and they're not integrated into the community as much. And I can only imagine that using MRAPs and uh, armored personnel uh, vehicles and uh, those kinds of heavy-duty equipment only serve to make that 
uh, worse. Distinction worse. And they also make crime fighting worse or dealing with crime, solving crimes worse. What happened uh, even on top of that is you had a lot of of suburbanites um, in the starting in the 70s and 80s when certain voting districts were re- redrawn. You had a lot of suburbanites voting about how much criminal enforcement they thought that the inner city needed. And so then that's about the time that the inner city and more poor communities and more minority communities started getting much less community policing and much more occupation and not knowing the police. And this doesn't help anyone. If you know the police there, you can the police on the ground can know who the gangs are, can know who the people in the neighborhood are. They can get tips from the people in the neighborhood because the people trust them. They can get tipped off that something's going to happen. Or they can see little 14-year-old Billy smoking a joint on the sidewalk. And as opposed to dragging him off to jail and putting him in for 20 years, they say, hey, Billy, I'm going to tell your parents if I catch you one more time. All that is the kind of community-oriented policing that we need, not SWAT teams uh, running around in, involving themselves in the city, which feels just like Fallujah. The people in Ferguson, it seems, based on the history they've had with the law enforcement and the disparity between the white police officers and the, and the majority of people in the town, they feel like the police are an occupying force. And when you give them sniper rifles, tactical assault gear, and armored personnel vehicles, this doesn't help it anymore. And of course, these police often take themselves the same prerogative that soldiers in Fallujah do, breaking into people's houses without any knocking and serving warrants and searching. It, it is not how policing should be done. It should be integrated with the community, not through militarized means. Now, um, there is also uh, a federal program which is meant to assist local police departments, which is known as equitable sharing with respect to uh, assets seized. Many state laws uh, prohibit uh, police agencies from receiving that money directly. So uh, local agencies then provide tips to the federal government. The federal government executes a seizure, and then as much as 80% of that money stays goes directly back to that local department. Yes, and that's it gets even more perverse than that because it incentivizes specific type of busts, particularly drug busts. So Where there's you, cash in. Where there's cash after they sell the drugs, and that's even more ironic or paradoxical that you wait for them to put the drugs out there on the street so you can get the cash. And so, again, this is not helping in terms of abating the drug crisis, uh, if that's what we're trying to do. Uh, But yes, when the DEA works with local law enforcement on drug busts specifically, they get money kicked back for that, which gets them more militarized gear, which gets them more it gives them more incentives to try and do more drug busts, which gets them more militarized gear, which gives more drug busts. It becomes a huge, huge, just revolving circle snowball effect of especially the drug war, especially militarized police, and then serving these warrants on nonviolent offenders, consensual crimes, and then situations like this in Ferguson. Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.